بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد جزاك الله for your patience and understanding one of the greatest things we can achieve in life is self-awareness nothing greater than this and there's there's a famous saying statement I won't say it's a hadith because I don't think it is Man arafa nafsahu faqad arafa rabbahu. whoever knows themselves will know Allah you guys have time to have tea today probably whoever knows themselves knows Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and if a person doesn't know and isn't aware of what's happening with themselves, either you'll be in the denial stage, you'll just say, no, there's nothing, or then you will be prone to a whole host of problems, and those are the things that we're talking about every week. All these unhealthy ways of thinking are because one of the main reasons is lack of self-awareness. So the reason why we're thinking, talking about all of these things is first of all, just to become self-aware. It's, it's a huge thing to become aware. So that next time, because, and, and you can't do it at the time. It has to be away from everything. This learning, I call it learning, this education has to be away from the situation because at that time, there's so much, so much going on. Life is moving. Things are going on. The crisis is actually taking place. At that time for us to someone to tell you, you're not going to see it. But when we're not in it, we're away from it. It's quiet, it's peaceful. At that time to have that learning and then to go away and to work on it, to monitor, to notice. And that's what we're doing every single week. And the people who go away and do the work, they are the ones who will benefit. Because personal development, self-awareness, you can't just read about it or talk about it. It has to be done. It's a work that needs to be done. It's a work in progress and it's being done every single day. It has to be continued to be done. So the things that we speak about, fine, but there will be some of you who've gone back and you've put it into practice. And when I say put it into practice, there's not so much to do really. A lot of it is just taking notice, becoming self-aware, just looking at yourself, taking yourself out of the situation or observing yourself as a third person, which sounds a bit weird. It sounds weird, but when you start doing it, it's very liberating because you can learn to let go of a lot of things because you're seeing the full picture not just the part that you notice it. You're seeing both sides of the story, not just your version. You're seeing beyond your thinking patterns. And that's very powerful. And it's become so much more easier to let go of things, it's so much more easier to not attach yourself, not to make it just about you. And it frees you from a lot of these labels that we're speaking about. So at the moment we're speaking about labeling and 
last week we spoke about how detrimental it is and the impact it has not just on our relationship with ourselves, with other people, but even with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A person who labels themselves as typically a bad Muslim or just not good at anything or Allah doesn't like me or any of these kind of labels, we learn that even by doing good things like reading Quran, a person won't feel good at the end of it because of the label. So the labels are not good, but we all have them. So today, inshallah, we're going to speak about regarding labeling. We want to understand now how can we dismantle these negative labels? How do we go about it? And the first step will be self-awareness. If first of all, if we don't know about it, we're not going to be able to do anything about it. So Alhamdulillah, we've had a few weeks where we've spoken about labeling, we've understood what it is. Now, inshallah, let's go into learning about how do we dismantle negative labels. Um, so, challenging the labels that you've developed over the years um, through the experiences we've had, and we've all had lots of ups and downs in life. Challenging these will yield a lot of benefit in the way you see yourself, in the way you interact with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with others and just with general life as well. So we're going to look at some uh, a process now of how do we go about it and questions you can ask yourself. So I'm going to ask you first. Let's, let, let's, let's make it more real. Okay, so I've got some thinking for you to do now. I know you don't want to do it because it's very early in the morning. What label do you use to describe yourself? And we probably have quite a few. I want to think of one. We're talking about negative labels, unhealthy thinking patterns, labels that are not empowering. I could do better as not a label. Yeah. So I am. It's the I am statement something to think about. Okay, so yeah. I am. I'm too erratic. Anybody else wants to share? So I am lazy. I am too erratic. I am forgetful. Any others? <laughs> Anyone else wants to share? Doesn't, you can even make one up just so that we've got a good number of examples to deal with.
Yeah, you can do. So, what, how would you describe that in one word? I'm too sensitive. I'm too touchy, sensitive, reactive, impulsive. Um, so, okay, that's good. Now, taking these examples, you can apply it to yourself. I'm going to give an example as well, just so that we kind of understand as we're going along. So, a very common one, and I'm, I'm meeting more and more people who, who say this, and we've probably said this at some point as well. So someone would say that, I believe I'm a bad Muslim because of everything that's happened. So, I'm a bad person. There's people, a lot of people who actually believe I'm a bad person. As we go along, you'll realize how and why people end up saying that. So because of what's happened, I'm a bad person. So this is a label, isn't it? I'm a bad person is a label. <clears throat> now, okay, so that's the first question. Second question is, what is your evidence that this label is accurate? What is your evidence that this label is accurate? Okay, so other people tell you. Do you remember last week's label? Do you remember last week? The label, towards the end, we gave an example. Who was giving the label? Somebody else was giving the label to a lady. Because of her cooking. The mother-in-law, remember? The mother-in-law had given a label to the daughter-in-law, telling her that she's not a good wife. So this is somebody else giving it. And was it accurate? No, it was her opinion. So what's, what is your evidence that this label is accurate? How do you know that this is true? So apply it to them. So this particular individual who we're speaking about um, is saying that I know I'm a bad Muslim uh, because I couldn't stop my uncle from touching me. If you remember, we spoke about Muna in the beginning and we said that she went through this period and something happened and she was exploited and now she's pointing the finger at herself. So now I feel myself dirty and I can't bring myself to pray, which proves I'm a bad Muslim. So she's not praying, not because she doesn't want to, she feels that because of what's happened, that's her now. So, you can understand your own label from there. Another question. If someone asked you to describe the opposite label, so a bad Muslim, the opposite of that would be a good Muslim. Someone who um, just thinks, You're just, I'm just dumb, I'm just stupid. The opposite of that would be an intelligent person. A lot of people say, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I can never do anything right. So the opposite of that would be a person who succeeds, a person who's a winner. 
What would you say is the opposite? How would you describe the opposite to your scenario? So in this case, for example, a good Muslim, according to her, would be someone who follows the rules of Islam all the time. This is, so I want you to focus on the words. According to her, a good Muslim is a person who follows the rules of Islam all the time. In your scenario, for example, you might think a, a person who's got a good memory is someone who remembers everything all the time. Uh, in Iqbal Bais, for example, case would be a person who is always on task, always ahead, never late, never last minute to anything, gets everything done and completed. Um, for example, in Agil Bais situation would be the total opposite of that. So never gets affected by anything. Just takes everything on the chin. Okay, so I want you to look at these examples. And it's someone, so she's saying that it's someone who was never abused because a good Muslim wouldn't be punished in that way. What do you notice about all of these definitions that we've given? Do you notice anything? Not yet? Okay. So now the next question is this. Look back at your description and see if it includes words like always, never, should, or shouldn't. Is your definition attainable and realistic? Was it? Can, for example, let's, let's take example at a time. Can someone remember everything all the time? That's not real. Can someone be where they're never ever gonna take anything personal and take everything on the chin? That's not real as well. Can someone always be on time for everything and get everything done? That's perfectionism. So a lot of times, what we're thinking we should be is not even a real thing. It's not even a real thing. So this, she's realized that my definition of a good Muslim necessitates perfection. I know that Allah didn't create human beings to be perfect. And it's impossible for a person not to make a mistake. We're not also responsible for what other people do. In her scenario, she didn't even do anything. Somebody else did something to her. And she's saying that she's a bad Muslim now. So we're not responsible for what other people do. She got abused, but she's feeling that I'm a bad Muslim because this happened to me. Even the prophets experience emotional abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, and they were the best Muslims. They were the best of Muslims, but they went through verbal abuse, they went through physical abuse, and they went through a lot of emotional uh, abuse as well. Okay, moving on from there now. Now we've, we're getting somewhere now with this. Labels often hurt us and hold us back from growth rather than helping us to cope with the pain. We're, we're getting somewhere. The labels, they help, they stop us from moving forward. When you use the label to describe yourself, how do you feel? So come back to our labels. And everyone's got labels. When you use that label to describe yourself, that I am, or you might say to yourself, you're just a, you're just a X, Y, Z. How does that make you feel?
And how, do, how does it make you feel when you think about the actual label? Somebody just thinks to themselves that I'm a bad Muslim. Negative. How does it make you, how does it make you feel, how does it make you feel towards yourself? If I'm just thinking all the time, I'm, I'm just lazy, or I'm just too erratic, or I'm just all over the place, or I just don't get anything right, or I'm just a loser. How does that make you feel about yourself? So yes, negative. Anything else? Depressed, yeah. Angry. So you feel a lot of these things. So she's saying that when I think of myself as a bad Muslim because of what happened to me, I just hate myself. So the feeling she's having is a hate towards herself. Is that a healthy thing to hate yourself constantly? Okay, so let's move on from there. How do you want to feel when you think back to that? Because what's happened already in your life, these experiences that you've had, you can't delete them, they're there. And whenever you think of them, you're going to think of something. How would you like to feel? How, how would you want to feel instead? Yeah. So she's saying, I want to feel safe and reassured that it's not my fault and I'm not dirty. I want to feel loved by Allah and to feel sure that I didn't do anything wrong. So it's okay to not get everything right all the time. It's okay to be forgetful. It's okay to be late sometimes. It's okay to not get everything right. As long as you can see that and not define yourself and put that label on and start moving forward. So what needs to happen for you to feel like that? Now there's a big, if you, a person's been thinking in a certain way for so many years and you've been feeling horrible about it, now you know how you want to feel. This is how you feel. You know how you want to feel. What needs to happen in, in between now for you to go from there to there? Change your attitude. Okay. What kind of feelings do we need to focus on? Hmm? Or the yet we spoke about. Yep, yeah, that really helps. It definitely helps. That comes from a growth mindset. When they study on fixed mindset and growth mindset, that comes from there. Where a lot of people think that this is just the way I am. I can't change. This is just me. This is a fixed mindset. We believe that this is how I was born. This is how I'm always going to be. It's a fixed mindset. You don't grow then. You stay stuck. Because you've just put your hands up. and said nothing can be done about this. The growth mindset is, this is what I'm doing right now. However, I do have the potential to change, to become better, to develop. I might not be doing it now, so we, instead we use yet. And that keeps it open. So, some of the things that we need is, she's saying, I need to feel safe. I need to feel cared for and loved. I need to focus on feelings of warmth and care and compassion. You know, compassion is very important. Having compassion, we speak about compassion when it comes to other people. 
We speak about compassion when we speak about the world. We speak about compassion when we speak about animals. But we very seldom speak about compassion to yourself. And a lot of times, we're very harsh on ourselves. We hold our own self to a very high standard. And we speak to ourselves in our inner dialogue in a way that you would not speak to another person. We sometimes speak to ourselves in such a way, harsh way, that we'd never speak to somebody else like that. And that can be very damaging because it's happening all the time. So if you've got a label and then you're just telling yourself and you're holding yourself accountable and you're just doing self-sabotage and eating yourself up, that, but why did you do this? How why are you like this? And that can take a person quite far down as well. So she's saying that she's realized that she needs to have much more compassion for herself, knowing that she's honored and loved by Allah. And I need to let myself feel the sadness. Feeling sad isn't a bad thing. Experiencing the things that you're mentioning, they're not bad things. Because if something's happened in the past and it was hurtful, you're allowed to be sad about it. But that doesn't define who you are. You're not defined by your problem. You're defined by your struggle, the struggle that you're making to move forward. And a lot of people define themselves and label themselves based on a problem they've had or they're going through. Instead, you define yourself with your struggle, regardless how, much, how stuck you're in it. Somebody could be seriously stuck in something, so much so that we take it to the level of an addiction. Even in that scenario, inside, in reality, as an individual, you will probably never want to be in it. You might be finding it very hard because you're stuck in it. So, so now, this positive feeling, how does it feel? If you could describe it. She's saying, I feel stronger. I know I'm safe. And I know Allah is always there to care for me. I feel soothed knowing that He has given me the strength to survive this. Again, we spoke about this before. Rather than seeing yourself as a victim, calling yourself a survivor. That I'm, I'm getting through this. So, we'll leave it to that for today, inshallah. So, when it comes to these labels, it's important that we are able to see them, first of all, self-awareness. See what they are and start working on them. And that's, that's with each thing. It's not going to happen overnight because imagine you've got years and years and years of programming in your head, in your brain, in your mind of thinking in a certain way. It's not just going to unravel overnight. Definitely, most definitely. Most of the cases that does it. Mashallah. And this is a prophetic way of dealing with people as well. The Prophet would 
uplift people and enhance them, highlight what needed to be worked on, and then show them the way to move forward. So I think it makes a big difference, the people that you're around. Um, if we're going to be around people that are um, negative, it has a massive impact. Surrounding yourself with people that are positive, that uplift you, uh, that makes all the world's difference. And we should make an effort to be in such environments. So, becoming self-aware, and secondly, once we do that, then we can start dealing with the labels, start breaking them down. Okay, is it accurate? Why is it accurate? How does it make you feel? How do you want to feel? And going down to the label itself, uh, really, what you want to try and achieve is not even possible. The opposite of it, what you've got in mind, that I should never be like, for example, if we take Adilba's example, if you never react to something, then you're not a human being. Yes, you might want to manage the way you're doing it right now, might not be the ideal that you want, but what you've got in mind, what you are expecting yourself to be at, that's irrational, that's perfectionism, and no one's perfect. Everyone makes mistakes sometimes. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. Let's move on to today's lesson. Inshallah, one day. <laughs> yeah, Alhamdulillah, we've got a lot of content now. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's doable. Yeah, inshallah. Make dua. Make dua. Allah makes it easy. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. What do you know about Masjid al-Aqsa, lesson number eight? We are currently discussing the definitions and concepts. And today's discussion is regarding Masjid al-Aqsa, an exclusively Islamic holy site. Masjid al-Aqsa holds immense significance in the Islamic faith and is explicitly referred to as a masjid in the Quran. Allah refers to Masjid al-Aqsa as a masjid in the Quran. And this designation of Masjid al-Aqsa as a masjid in the Quran by Allah, this cannot be changed or altered by anybody. Similarly, Muslims cannot accept any form of shared administration or participation from any non-Muslim, any occupation in Masjid Al-Aqsa. Currently, Masjid Al-Aqsa is under occupation and there are attempts to divide the administration of Masjid Al-Aqsa. The concept of Islamic exclusivity regarding Masjid Al-Aqsa. What does it mean? So Islamic exclusivity over Masjid Al-Aqsa tells us that the exclusive right of Muslims over Masjid Al-Aqsa does not allow for sharing or participation by others. And this is based on our aqidah, is based on our faith, 
is based from the Quran because the Quran deems it blessed and the Quran has deemed it as a masjid and this is a place that has been passed down from prophets to the Prophet and it will remain so until the day of Qiyamah. So the Islamic sovereignty over Masjid Al-Aqsa is actually an inherent and a permanent right and it cannot, it's not subject to negotiation. The right that Muslims have over Masjid Al-Aqsa is an inherent and a permanent right. It's not open to any type of negotiation whatsoever. Islamic governments, starting from the early Islamic conquests, have represented Masjid Al-Aqsa and Palestine, and it continued to happen. And no one has the authority to negotiate any part of Masjid Al-Aqsa with any outside party. There is no one who is allowed to do this because it doesn't belong. It's a, it's something that belongs to the Muslims because it's deemed so by the Quran. Now the representation of Islamic exclusivity over Masjid Al-Aqsa, how has that been represented over time? So throughout the extensive Islamic history, the head of the Islamic State represented Islamic exclusivity over Masjid Al-Aqsa. It's like Saudi Arabia now, because they're in charge of Hijaz, they take care of the Haramain Sharifain. In the past, when it was the Ottomans, for example, they were the custodians of the Haramain Sharifain. So over the time, the Islamic State, whoever was the head of it, would represent Masjid Al-Aqsa and be the custodian of it. Following the end of the uh, Islamic Caliphate, the Ottoman Empire, when it declined, the Ottoman Empire, what happens is the British mandate then assumed control over Palestine. And during that period, there was an Islamic council that emerged uh, and that was known as the uh, Supreme Islamic Council, Al-Majlisul A'la, Al-Majlisul Islami Al-A'la in Jerusalem. And they said that we are going to, in the absence of an Islamic state, we are going to be, although they were under British occupation, we are going to be the custodians of Masjid Al-Aqsa. We're going to assume this responsibility because this has to stay in the hand and the control of Muslims. Masjid Al-Aqsa cannot be given away to any other party. Not even one part, not even one centimeter of it. What, not even one dust particle of it. Its entirety must remain under Muslim jurisdiction all the time. So they arose and they said, we will take care of the affairs of Masjid Al-Aqsa. After the occupation of Palestine by Zionists and the decision to unite the two banks um, in 1951, Masjid Al-Aqsa then became under Jordan jurisdiction. So now Masjid Al-Aqsa falls under the territory of Jordan. Now let's understand Jordan's role in the custodianship over the exclusivity of Masjid Al-Aqsa. From 1951 until 1967, during the era of the unity of the two banks, Masjid Al-Aqsa was situated within the territory of the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. Even after the occupation of Jerusalem, which happened in 1967, the Jerusalemites refused 
Even though East Jerusalem was occupied, the people of Jerusalem refused to hand over Masjid Al-Aqsa to the occupiers. By 1970, Masjid Al-Aqsa, the its custodianship of Masjid Al-Aqsa was upheld under international law in the name of the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. In the in international law, they said no. Although they've overtaken and occupied East Jerusalem, Masjid Al-Aqsa remains under the jurisdiction of the Jordanian Awqaf and the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. So now Muslims are responsible for the affairs of Masjid Al-Aqsa through the Jordanian institutions. They are the custodians. The Jordanian Awqaf endowments, they possess the right to supervise, to safeguard and to protect Masjid Al-Aqsa, to conduct regular maintenance and necessary restoration work unnecessary building work in the facilities both above the ground and beneath the ground. They also have the authority to grant access to whom they want and regulate the exit as well. Who is this now? Recognized by international law, the Jordanian Awqaf. Now, understanding their current role, the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan serves as the custodian of Masjid Al-Aqsa. This really means a lot to us because remember Masjid Al-Aqsa is part of our faith. It's an ayah of the Quran. It's not open for negotiation. So this concerns us like who's going to take care of the affairs of Masjid Al-Aqsa. So the Jordanian Ministry of Endowments manages the Islamic endowments and sanctities in Jerusalem while Jordan actively defends the exclusivity, Islamic exclusivity in international courts to, their, to the extent of whatever they're doing. Despite the restrictions imposed on Jordan and its custodianship and the diminishing Jordanian sovereignty, day by day we're seeing that more and more control is being taken away from the Jordan, Jordanian Awqaf. So much so that right now, they have almost no control over Masjid al-Aqsa. Although by name, they are the custodians of Masjid al-Aqsa. The current situation, despite them losing control, the current situation does not alter or change Jordan's custody over Masjid al-Aqsa. Even though they're in a very difficult and a weak situation, that doesn't alter, that doesn't mean, okay, let other people come in now. Any modification in the custodianship would involve immediate involvement of the occupiers in the management of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Custodianship over the Masjid does not contradict Islamic exclusivity. The custodian is not authorized to accept or facilitate any actions that would lead to the involvement of non-Islamic entities in the administration of Masjid Al-Aqsa. I'm going to end with a question which is asked by a lot of people. And this question is problematic and it's very worrying. And the question is this, and I get asked this very often. Will they ever take over Masjid Al-Aqsa? A very common question. Does it say anywhere that Masjid Al-Aqsa is going to get taken over, is going to get destroyed? And what's the answer to that? The answer to that is 
Masjid Al-Aqsa is already taken over in 19, since 1967. My question to that would be, what are you waiting for? What is it that you're waiting for? Masjid Al-Aqsa is already occupied. It's fully taken over. It's already happened. People speak as if they're waiting for it to collapse or them to lock the door. That already happened. In 1967, that's already happened. Isn't it already bad what's happening? This is full occupation. They decide who enters, they decide who goes out. They decide what happens inside. They decide what shouldn't happen inside. So it's, it's fully occupied already. And Muslims around the world are waiting. They're sitting back and waiting. We're going to wait till they take over. I don't know what that means. And then maybe we will do something about it. Maybe we'll start speaking. And this is what we're seeing. That people only start speaking about it when they see something happening that they deem really bad. But that already happened in 1967 when they're fully occupied. So Masjid Al-Aqsa currently is under full occupation. It's fully controlled by the Zionist regime. So the summary of today's discussion is number one, Masjid Al-Aqsa is an exclusively Islamic holy site and its administration cannot be shared by a non-Muslim regime. By the declaration of the Quran, Masjid Al-Aqsa is an exclusively Islamic holy site, just like Masjid Al-Haram and Masjid Al-Nabawi. A non-Muslim regime cannot share in the administration and their day-to-day -day running affairs of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Number two, Jordanian custodianship over Masjid Al-Aqsa is recognized under international law and must be maintained. They are the custodians and that should remain the case. And number three, the Zionist occupation seek to become partners in the administration of Masjid Al-Aqsa. This is something that can never be accepted. So much so that after COVID, I'll give you an example. After COVID, when it came to opening Masjid Al-Aqsa, Things down there, they started applying the restrictions much earlier. So they were able to lift the restrictions much earlier as well. So when everything became normal, shopping centers were open, other masjids were open, Masjid Al-Aqsa was still closed. And the Jordanian Awqaf decided that we will open Masjid Al-Aqsa now to the public on the day of Jumu'ah. Of course, why not? On the day of Jumu'ah, everybody will come back to the masjid back to community, back to praying together. What happens? Now on a Jummah, it's only Muslims who enter. So the Zionist regime overpowered this and said, no, Masjid Al-Aqsa will not open on Jummah. And they, they kept it closed. They said, we'll open it on a Sunday. Why? Why, Why on a Sunday? Because on Sunday, you have the Zionist incursions. And they want to show that we are equal with you in the administration on the affairs of Masjid Al-Aqsa. We want to be, the, like a lot of people say, well, if they want to, they can take over today. Of course they can. They've already done that in 1967. They've already taken fully over. But to the world, they want to show, this is the current affair now, right now. They want to show that we are working together in the administration of Masjid Al-Aqsa. A Muslim cannot accept this because the exclusivity of Masjid Al-Aqsa being an is exclusively Islamic holy site, which cannot be shared with anybody. 
And because Allah declares it as a masjid, it's not open to negotiation with anybody. You can't, you can't put it on the table and say, okay, you can have like this much of it. Let us have the rest. It has, it's not open to debate. Because Allah has declared it as a masjid, the Prophet was handed it over uh, in the night of Mi'raj. Thus it happened in that place and it will remain. So this is not open to discussion and it cannot be accepted. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. We'll give some time for Quranic recitation inshallah. Recite the Rashid Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallam. La ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, Subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanallahil azim 
سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله العظيم 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 استغفر الله 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 الله والله 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 لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد يا حي يا قيوم يا حي يا قيوم يا حي يا قيوم يا أرحم الراحمين يا أرحم الراحمين يا أرحم الراحمين يا حنا يا منان يا حنان يا منان يا حنان يا منان يا أحد الصمد الذي لم يرد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا أحد لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام جزا الله عنا سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ما هو أهله رضينا بالله ربا وبالإسلام دينا وبمحمد صلى الله الله عليه وسلم رسولا ونبيا الحمد لله الحمد لله الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا ان هدانا الله اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لك الحمد ولا نعمه الايمان ولك الحمد ولا نعمه الاسلام ربنا ظلمنا انفسنا وان لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين او كايند اند لوفينج الله او موست 
merciful Allah, a most compassionate Allah. We beg for your forgiveness, O Allah. Allah, you love to forgive sins. No one besides you can forgive our sins, O Allah. Grant us your forgiveness, O Allah. We are in need of your forgiveness, O Allah. Forgive all our sins, O Allah. Delete all our history, O Allah. Wipe our sins away, O Allah. Grant us the opportunity to make sincere tawbah to you, O Allah. Help us to turn towards you, O Allah. Create the hatred of sins in our hearts, O Allah. Allah, grant us a life of goodness and khair, O Allah. Allah, make us inclined towards your obedience, O Allah. Allah, grant us a life of taqwa. Grant us a life of taqwa, O Allah. Grant us a life of halal, O Allah. Distances from haram, O Allah. Distances from our sins, O Allah. Distances from evil, O Allah. Allah, purify our minds, O Allah. Purify our eyes, O Allah. Purify our ears and our hearing, O Allah. Purify our tongues, O Allah. Purify our hearts, O Allah. Help us to revive the sunnah of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, within our lines, within our homes, within our communities, O Allah. Grant us, grant us mutual respect and tolerance, O Allah. Grant us unity, O Allah. Allah, grant us plenness of the hearts, O Allah. Unite us, O Allah. Allah grant us the ability to stay away from backbiting, O Allah. Help us to stay away from lying and cheating, O Allah. You Allah purify our habits, O Allah. Allah make us closer to you, O Allah. Make us beloved to you, O Allah. Grant us your pleasure, O Allah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked of you many good things. We ask of you the same. He sought your protection from many evils. We seek your protection from the same. O Allah protect the sanctity of Masjidul Aqsa, O Allah. Protect the sanctity of Haramain Sharifain, O Allah. Allah, Masjid al-Aqsa is under occupation, O oh Allah. Free it from the occupation, O oh Allah. Liberate Masjid al-Aqsa, O oh Allah. Help those who are working towards its liberation, O oh Allah. Help those who are defending its rights, O oh Allah. Help those who are standing in the face of the occupation, O oh Allah. Allow them to continue resisting, O oh Allah. Grant them strength, O oh Allah. Strengthen them, O oh Allah. Increase them in their Iman, O oh Allah. Grant them sabr, O oh Allah. Grant them istiqama, O oh Allah. Allow them to continue resisting, O oh Allah. Allah, protect their families, O oh Allah, protect their children, O oh Allah, protect their livelihood, O oh Allah. You take care of them just like they are taking care of your sanctified places, O oh Allah. Allow us to also do this khidmah, O oh Allah. Take this work from us, O oh Allah. This work is very noble, O oh Allah. We are not worthy of it, O oh Allah, but we beg you, O oh Allah, utilize us and do not replace us, O oh Allah. Utilize us and do not replace us, O oh Allah. Utilize us and do not replace us, O oh Allah. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب